Hello and welcome to this IBSA podcast on the topic of funding startup companies and the next stage of secondary funding with venture capital and private equity funds. My name is Roy Saunders, founder and chairman of the IBSA, the International Business Structuring Association, which is a multidisciplinary global association of entrepreneurs and their professional advisors dedicated to sharing their expertise with each other within a great networking platform. Today, I'm joined by Lucy Berniston of Memory Crystal, and I'm changing my identity to become Nicholas, the entrepreneur behind my fictitious case study, which formed the framework of our autumn workshops, and which will also feature in the forthcoming annual IBSA conference. I would direct our listeners to read the case study on the IBSA website under the conference page at the ibsa.org to fully understand what we will be discussing today. So, Lucy, as we discussed, I've got an Austrian company which created my task management software program, TASH. And via my time in the US with TASH Inc., which I formed, I've now come to the UK and created TASH App Limited, which needs some funding to get going. Uh, and what I wanted particularly to discuss with you is whether I'd be able to attract secondary funding with VCs or PE companies. But, but firstly, where do you suggest I look for angel equity investments to fund R&D and early stage operations in TASH App Limited? Um, well, there's plenty of sources of angel equity investment available um, for those um, uh, seeking investment in the UK market or indeed from elsewhere or a combination of both. Um, we tend to find angel investment comes sometimes from what we call accelerator or incubator programmes. Which, uh, the accelerators are um, organisations which provide sort of mentorship and guidance to founders to help them build the early stages of their business and sort of hold their hands through the angel fundraising process. And what they do is they take a slice of, of, of equity uh, in return for their services, but they do frequently invest directly themselves, uh, usually around the sort of five, sometimes 10 percent mark. You've also, of course, got your own founder, friends and family uh, to call on, possibly again, uh, if they've helped you so far. Um, you've got high net worth angels, um, possibly some VCs at this stage, but they tend to want to come in uh, once your, your, uh, your new co is more proven in the market. Uh, and then particularly in the technology sector, you could look to university or government grants. But when you hear people talk about the sort of angel uh, uh, investment rounds. What you what you tend to um, uh, envisage is giving away sort of ten to twenty percent from across all of these sources. Um, it tends to be a lot of smaller investors uh, making um, up that ten to twenty percent up together. And do they agree to dilution if I go for further funding? Things are relatively informal at the angel stage. They know uh, that I'll obviously hope that there will be further fundraising uh, rounds to come. You um, you will uh, have to go back to consent uh, from them when the VCs come in. There'll be new, a new suite of documents that you'll effectively be starting again. Um, but you would structure things so that they can't block anything. Is it expensive to start with the angels with the documentation that's required or can we do this very informally with uh, some of the angels? Uh, you do want to make sure that you've got formal documentation in place. Um, what you're, I mean, the documents you're looking to, there'll be a heads of terms perhaps that you send out to all of your angels. Um, heads of terms are non-binding, but they set out your key headline uh, terms that you're prepared to offer. 
And it's a, if they sign up to those, it's very much a signal of intent and there's a moral obligation to, um, to move forward on those terms unless there's any material changes. And then you move on to the legal documents that there's usually three. You've got your articles of association, which um, set out your share rights, dividends, uh, capital returns, voting rights. And they'll include basic minority protections for those angels just to uh, pr- prohibit mass dilution. Uh, you then your second document is a shareholders agreement, which is sometimes called investment agreement. Um, that's more about um, regulating the ongoing relationship between you and your investors uh, and the company. And then the third document is a subscription agreement. That's uh, the actual binding document that sets out the terms of their investment, how ma- how how you know how many pounds for how many shares. The idea is that subscription agreement, once they've invested, just falls away uh, and you're left with the articles and your shareholders agreement um, governing things going forward. Um, Now, the temptation is to try to cut costs at this stage. And obviously, um, all advisors are aware that that costs are tight um, in the early days, but it is advisable to to, um, to seek proper uh, legal advice at this stage because a good suite of angel investment documents should see you through a number of pre-Series A fundraising rounds without you know, significant amendment. Um, and what I have seen on countless occasions is without proper legal advice, founders do often give too much away too soon to these smaller angel investors. Uh, and that can make it um, difficult later on because obviously there's a, a snowball effect. So on your next fundraising round, your investors will ask for slightly more and slightly more. And it becomes an unattractive proposition when your VCs are ready to come in. And also, like I said before, you would probably have to go back to your angels to get some sort of consent to your um, to your VC Series A round. Uh, and they're going to be less keen to do that if it involves relinquishing too many enhanced rights that you've given them already. Um, so there are benefits to getting proper advice at this stage, particularly you know, if you're um, wanting to make sure you're AIS compliant throughout. Yes. Uh, I mean, I've seen a lot of programmes on, on Dragon's Den where the founders actually can't accept the offer from the Dragons because of the uh, initial funding arrangements. So looking forward, um I know the company has got difficulties. Uh, My company has got difficulties. Um, And if I need to restructure my business and form a new company, a 2024 company called Tash App, and then I approach venture capital funds, what would be the difference in approach versus angel funding? Okay, so um, as you're sort of progressing along your fundraising journey and you're getting to your VC stage, that's when you're tending to look for that one uh, single institutional large investor or sometimes what we call a a lead or a cornerstone investor. Um, And in those circumstances, your VC will um, be your main main point of contact with whom you negotiate the documents and then other smaller investors will piggyback onto that and uh, inherit the same terms. Um, VCs at this stage... They're tending to look for more from the company. It's no longer about a good idea uh, that might have been enough to attract angels. Now they're wanting to see some proper strategy and, and a robust um, business plan. Um, and certainly some many VCs do have minimum financial uh, metrics for the company to meet before they will consider investing. Um, this is what people loosely 
um, called a Series A round. It's your first institutional fundraising round, sort of looking at that one to five million mark. It can be for more, 10 to 20, but obviously the more you're trying to raise, the more advanced business model and higher valuation you're going to need. Um, but yes, you, I mean, you will have to prove some track history, albeit, um, uh, you know, not, not significant, um, as this is, you know, VCs are still prepared to invest at a relatively early stage and, and, and at relatively high risk, but in return, they're, they're still looking for high returns. Now, uh, the the intellectual property that I have in uh, in Tash in the Tash software uh, originally I had it in the Austrian company, but I created it. Um, I then moved it over to the US to be licensed there, and then to the UK. If I've only got a license in Tash app, and I'm the one that actually created the copyright so therefore it's my copyright how tight are the um venture capitalists going to be in looking at uh, the intellectual property and other assets that in fact attach app the due diligence i guess is quite heavy it is much much heavier at the vc stage than you'll um, than, than angels will do although obviously as a technology ip based company even at angel stage um you can expect <laughs> to have to give some warranties uh, on ownership of IP. Uh, but yes, d- due diligence is much heavier on the commercial side and financial side um, uh, at, at, at your Series A round. At the VC stage as well, it's very common to use what we call the BBCA standard form investment documents, which are sort of model pro, pro forma uh, shareholders agreements and articles um, produced Mm-hmm. um uh, for the for use by vcs um and then you can tailor them to the particular transaction but those bbca documents are very clear that they do expect the ip ownership to rest with the investee company uh, and the founder will undertake to assign all future ip to the company in those so yes you can expect thorough due diligence and any deficiencies you would expect to have to remedy with long-term license arrangements or assignments prior to the investment completing um also, that will be backed up. They will want to see warranties that your employees have got um, uh, adequate employment contracts with IP protections for the company in those, uh, and you're, uh, you're likely to enter into a new service contract yourself uh, at the VC stage, which will obviously um, include the same or similar protections. Right, okay. What about control of the company how much control do i have in the company or will the venture capitalists demand quite a bit of control i guess it's kind of a spectrum uh with your angel investors demanding the minimum uh sort of control and uh as you go further on perhaps series b series c private equity investment you have the other end of the scale uh and vcs uh they fall in the middle perhaps closer to the angel end than you would expect um, they do take a longer term approach uh, to their investment. They, they're coming in relatively early in the business growth cycle still, and there is usually less rush to exit than perhaps on the PE side. Um, they're very much coming from the point of view that they're still backing the founder. Um, and so the control that they ask for is much more economic. They want to protect the value of their investment. So they're looking at restrictions on dilution um, and, um, uh, you know, controls on the amount of debt the company takes on capital expenditure, that sort of thing, rather than trying to, um, you know, straightjacket the founder in terms of how they run the business on a day to day basis. 
But I mean, in, term, in terms of the board, regardless of whether it's VC or PE uh, investment, that, you know, at this stage, investors will be looking to see a formal board with independent appointments and a commitment to hold regular meetings. Um, who's on that board is always a key part of any negotiation. Um, and at the Series A VC stage, what you tend to see is that the VC will want some board representation uh, and then to see that the company has a good board balance with um, some independent appointments and independent chairman, for example, um, just to make sure really, um, again, it's about that economic protection. They want to make sure that there is a check and balance on the founder um, and really they just want a good information flow. That's, that's sort of what's motivating them to be on the board so they know what's going on rather than to unduly restrict. Unlike private equity, they won't want to influence, um, you know, put their own people on it in the executive positions or anything like that. Yeah, well, I'll come on to the private equity because that's one of my questions. Uh, will I be able to do anything else uh, whilst I, I have venture capitalists on board? Will I be able to pursue any other activities or is it 100% for Tash? Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be 100% of your time, but there will be restrictions on competing. Um, and, and that would probably be the same um, if your angel investors have been well advised yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, the difference at um, VC stage is that it's uh, there are much stronger incentives to stay with the company. Or perhaps it's more accurate to say there are much stronger deterrents against leaving the business. Um, and that's what we call this sort of good and bad lever. Uh, again, it's a very um, significant part of the negotiation, like the board um, <laughs> representation. Um, what the good bad lever basically says is if you have, as founder leave, uh, depending on the circumstances, you can, um, you can lose your equity. Uh, so in the worst case, if you're a bad lever, for example, you've done something that's very fault based, you've been negligent or fraudulent, you are likely to lose your share, all of your shares for no value. Um, that will be in the documentation, will it? That is in the articles, yes. And it's that that um, deters a founder from uh, going from going elsewhere uh, when coupled with the restrictions on um, taking part in competing businesses. Um, at the other end of the scale, you have your good lever situation. So if you leave for a no-fault reason, if because of illness or retirement, then you very much are um, risk-free and you get to keep your shares. And the heavily negotiated part, as you would expect, is in the middle. So what happens if you resign or um, if you're dismissed for poor performance? And that's when um, it can get quite clever. We can negotiate a sliding scale depending on when you leave for those reasons. Um, uh, and um, yes, it, it, the, the, it, there is no standard form for that. That's one area where the BPCA model documents uh, do give you scope to negotiate. Okay, so now moving on now to the private equity funds that you've mentioned, what's the distinction between venture capital funds and private equity funds? And, and in what can I expect if I then go on from venture capital to private equity? Um, well, technically speaking, a venture capital fund is a form of private equity. But as a general rule of thumb, when people talk about private equity, they mean uh, more sophisticated um, funds who are uh, investing later on in the business growth cycle. They're investing more um, for a larger slice of the pie um, <laughs> and usually at a less risky stage. 
So um, with that, with taking on that larger slice of the equity and putting more money in, um, you, your company tends to be more mature uh, and the invest, private equity investors are looking for more control over it uh, in return. So you see them uh, wanting to have more management control, perhaps putting their own people in there um, uh, and certainly um, being more involved. It's also a lot more complicated on the documentation side in that they have their own structures to work around and, and to work with. Would venture capitalists stay in with private equity or would they go out at that stage and private equity buy out the venture capitalists and and invest more money what's the normal i would say the latter is probably more more likely but there is there is there is no set route um uh, in the growth cycle you might cut out the vc stage altogether and go straight to private equity you might often frequently you skip the private equity and go straight to exit from venture capital so uh you know it is there is no set path no and and on exit i mean if i if i want to get out can i force a sale to the private equity people uh or it, can they force a sale as well and get me out? You know, what's what's my security if I go with private equity? Well, the um, the basic rule that applies throughout um, the for the investment process, whether it's from angels or, or, or further on, is um, that um, a majority can usually force an exit, force a sale, or um, or a listing. The way that works is through um, what we call the drag right. That's uh, one of the clauses in the articles. Um, and what a drag right says is that if a third party buyer wants to buy 100% of the company, um, as long as X percent of the shareholders want to sell to that third party, they can force the other shareholders, they can drag along those minorities to sell to the same buyer at the same price. Now, that threshold, that X percent can vary. It's totally free um, for negotiation at the time. If, if, if a private equity firm has what, is it? Is it typical to have 30 percent, uh, 30, 35 percent? Usually that threshold is set at fifth, between 50 and 75. So a founder can either... Um, uh, can either sometimes do it on their own or with a collection of the minor investors they can um certainly um you know force through a sale but at 30 35 percent stake the private equity firm, it, it, yes it's difficult. Uh, and what i will say is that's just looking at the drag rights alone in your shareholders agreement they will have um certain consent rights uh, which is a list consent rights restricted matters they have different names they're all the same thing it's a list of things that the board or the company can't do without the investors prior consent uh, and a listing uh, would be one of those for example so you are going to need your major investors on, on board for any sort of exit but when it comes to a sale, the drag right is the, is the key sort of term in the articles that you're looking for there that, that differs from a tag right. People talk about drag and tag in the same breath. Tag right is sort of the reverse of a drag. It's minority protection. What the tag right says is that if a majority of the shareholders are selling to a buyer, those the, the minorities can tag along too. They can force the buyer to offer them the same deal um, to make sure that they're not just left behind. Um, 
uh, and you and again for that one the threshold um, is a little bit more stable that's very frequently seen at more than 50 percent okay now finally the the concern that i have uh, been told is that i'm not quite sure whether venture capitalists would do this but private equity certainly they they might put money in by way of loan uh, rather than equity capital or or perhaps a combination of both. What is your experience of that? And how, when they put money in by way of loan, how uh, nasty could it get, let's put it this way, if the private equity fund says, I want my loan repaid and the company hasn't got the money to do so. So what's the, what's the way that a, a private equity or venture capitalists maybe would invest? Would it be primarily equity capital or would it be by way of loans? Um. Venture capital um, is very much by way of equity. Um, they're looking to utilise various tax incentives <coughs> that are available to them. Um, your your not your difficulty, but your complication there is ensuring that your documentation, your running of the company continues to comply uh, with the rules that enable them to continue to benefit from those tax reliefs. So we're talking about ECT relief. Um, EIS, SEIS, that kind of thing. Um, so, so that that that's what comes up on the equity side of things. Private equity tend to do, as you as you as you say, they tend to do more of a mix. I know that um, uh, somebody had a problem with private equity uh, where they wouldn't advance any more money to the company, and uh, the company almost went bust because of it. Um, how difficult it is to work, is it to work with private equity firms? I would say perhaps they have a bit of a, a worse reputation uh, uh, from stories like that than 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 venture capitalists. Um, but um, with as with all investors, they are taking a slice of the company. It's in everybody's interest that the company succeeds. Um, so I think. Um, that 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 very much remains everybody's objective. I think the difference perhaps is that when you're in the earlier stage of things, um, the venture capitalists are backing the founder. So their founder's interests and the venture capitalists are perhaps more aligned than those between the founder and the private equity investor. But as I say, by then the company should be more mature. Uh, and um, hopefully the founder will have naturally relinquished some control anyway uh, as the company has grown perhaps won't find it so hard as to um, to deal to deal with the private equity influence. Well, that's fascinating. I think uh, you, you've answered a lot of the questions. I'm sure I've got lo loads more. Um, but thank you, Lucy, for joining me today. It was really interesting. I'm sure Nicholas will have more questions uh, at our conference uh, on the 23rd of May. Um, but uh, they can, of course, contact you at memorycrystal.com in the meantime, if they uh, if they need to do so. Um, all the details of the conference are on our website at theibsa.org. Uh, so now it just remains for me to change back again from Nicholas to Roy Saunders and conclude the com podcast by thanking you again, Lucy. It was excellent. And thank you for uh, listening.